Greatness is the orphan of urgency, Lane. Greatness only emerges when we need it most in times of, of war or calamity. Now, I can't ask somebody to be a, a Kennedy or a Lincoln. They were men created by their times. What I, what I can ask for is the, is the promise of greatness. Hi everyone, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. Yes, well, we can ask for is the promise of greatness. And, you know, we saw we saw uh, Hillary Clinton slow to react, Obama slow to react from our crisis that we saw last weekend in uh, in Florida. Actually, Florida was a was a hotbed of uh, problems last week uh, or in this in this past week. And uh, you know what? Uh, The promise of greatness we're looking for. That was a scene from the movie The Contender. Uh, and he's exactly right. You know, greatness comes in times of, of a war and calamity, and we want to see the promise of greatness in our in our nominee. And uh, following up from last week's show, when I had uh, Scott McPhee and his 21 year old son Nick, brilliant, brilliant young kid. Uh, but you know what? He's a young kid. He's 21, and he's and I think and I think before he got here, he was kind of half halfway uh convinced by his dad that some of his uh some of his anti-trumpisms were were wrong or he was he was off a little bit you know what i i have to go i have to say here you know there's a difference between 21 and being in your 50s and there's a difference between 21 and 30 and uh you know you you raise your kids you go through life you you experience life and you and you gain wisdom so uh, all of you 18-year-old kids that wanted to vote for Sanders, just, just trust me, never Hillary. Never Hillary. If you want your life to be good as an adult, never Hillary. Because we know what happens in times of calamity. We saw the movie 13 Hours. We know what happened. We watched it happen on the news before it became a movie. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk about everything that's going on in the uh, in this country and all that all the stuff that we've seen and my opinion of it. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, located in the city of Marino Valley. Also offices in Temecula, Corona, Downey, Westlake Village, and Covina to service all of Southern California for all of your real estate financing needs. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are fantastic opportunities out there, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, 855-640-2020. If you want to get some information on financing a, a house, whether it be refinancing your house, purchasing a new house, purchasing an investment property, pur- purchasing a vacation home, or that uh, that re- reverse mortgage thing that everybody's talking about for you uh, 62 and over crowd, and you want some straight talk and you want some straight information, just uh, just call me. If the uh, if you uh, if you want to get some information but you don't want to talk on the phone, you can uh, go to edhoffman.net, click on apply now, and uh, f- and uh, fill out as much information as you want me to have, and let me know how much information you want. You'll hear back from myself 
or one of my teammates, Alex Rojas, uh, uh, Justin Clark, Matt Bradbury, Randy Sampius, or Eric Marquez, and uh, we will fill in your your uh, real estate financing puzzle. Um, if you uh, hear anything on the show you want repeated, uh, you can get also on edhoffman.net. You can click on list the main event here, this show as well as four past shows, or you can go to iTunes and get the podcast, and you can subscribe for free. And once a week, it'll uh, it'll download to your iPad, your iPod, your iPhone, your iWatch, your computer, your Android, whatever electronic uh, device you have that uh, can download iTunes. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. Uh, and like the show, the fa- like the show on Facebook. Go to the Facebook Facebook search the main event five ninety. Uh, you can also read my opinion columns on IE Business Daily. I'm going to spend the whole show telling you how to hear my opinions. <clears throat> and uh, uh, my uh, click on the opinion tab on IE Business Daily. This week's opinion is why we shouldn't be surprised at Obama's reaction to the shooting at Orlando, uh, which we're gonna about just about to talk about. So uh, on the but also also in in uh, in following up with last week's having a having a millennial on the on the phone on the in the studio with me with uh, Nick McAfee. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go ha- I'm gonna take a jump forward and i'm going to bring a i'm going to bring a a uh, little older millennial i don't know joey are you considered a millennial or are you an no, x-gen sir, not at all you're an x-gen we are generation y generation y okay i don't remember i know i'm i'm part of the part of the baby boomers and uh you know then before us was the greatest generation and i guess uh <laughs> <clears throat> but uh i but, like to tell people we're the next greatest generation. Uh, we've definitely fought this war, and hopefully, we'll bring this country uh, back to greatness, as your uh, as your candidate would say. Uh, exactly. I'm open. Uh, well, I hope. I hope. And uh, as the as the default, that he ends up being your candidate as a default, because never Hillary. If, if you can't vote, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you can't if you can't vote positive about Trump, vote negative about Hillary, and make sure we don't have Hillary there. So uh, yeah, anyway, I'm interested to see. For those of you that don't recognize Joey's voice, uh, Johnny Joey Jones is a, a ex-military uh, uh, EOD tech, um, also the the COO of the boot campaign, and you see him often as a military uh, analyst on uh, on Fox News, as well as uh, see the Greg Gutfeld show, and uh, and uh, see I've seen you on. Uh, uh, Red Eye, and I've seen you on uh, Megan Kelly. I've seen you. How many? There's a lot of shows you're on there. You're getting to be a, yeah, reg, a regular Fox News analyst. We'll see. That's the title they've given me so far. Uh, for me, I've, I'm a 29 year old Marine Corps veteran. I spent a little bit of time in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's been a lot of time after that, um, after injury, after losing my leg, to uh, trying to be an advocate for the veteran community and, and the military community at large. So. If they need an opinion on a military issue, a VA issue, or something that I'm passionate and active about, I'm happy to give it because I'm just representing this generation like we were just talking about. Well, I appreciate uh, all the service you've given and the sacrifice you've given and the and the, uh, and the the opinion that you have, even though sometimes it differs from mine. Uh, you've definitely uh, earned your right to uh, – you've earned the right – to put your opinion and your knowledge out there. So let's let's start let's start with uh, uh, what's happening this week, and we'll just chime in as we go. Uh, San Bernardino has now been unseated as the site of the deadliest terror attack since 9/11. As uh, you can probably guess, that title now belongs to Orlando, Florida. The early morning of June 12th, which was last Sunday, 
Uh, last Sunday, terror attack at the gay nightclub Pulse resulted in, in 50 deaths. That was actually 49 plus plus uh, Omar Mateen, who was the shooter that uh, was killed by cops. Uh, a 29-year-old American citizen with Afghan parents. By the time we woke up Sunday morning, news had broken <clears throat> that Mateen had pledged uh, his allegiance to ISIS in a 9-11 call he made right before carrying out attack, as well as uh, several Facebook posts while he was in the nightclub killing people. Uh, but guess who pretended not to know? It's an open investigation. We've reached no definitive judgment on the precise motivations of the killer. The FBI is appropriately investigating this as an act of terrorism. Yeah, Obama seemed to be a little bit, a uh, little bit out there. Um, as the week went on, Obama acknowledged the connection to ISIS, but continued to use terms like homegrown extremism, something he uh, he does to keep the blame as far away from Islam as possible. Here he's doing the same thing he did after the attack in San Bernardino, offering up pure speculation as to how the shooter became radicalized. He appears to have been an angry, disturbed, unstable young man who became radicalized. As we know all too well, terrorist groups like ISIL have called on people around the world and here in the United States to attack innocent civilians. Uh, their propaganda, uh, their videos, their postings are pervasive and uh, more easily accessible uh, than we want. This individual appears to have absorbed some of that, and during his killing spree, uh, the shooter in Orlando pledged allegiance to ISIL. Joey, what's your what's your thought on yes, this? Yes, sir. What's your thought? I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, I, I think it's really simple. We have the threat of lone wolf terrorism in this country has been around since we've been around. Um, you know, we had, we've had traitors, we have had terrorists within our within our borders that were born here. Uh, but there are some common denominators we need to pay attention to. Um, and one of those common denominators are, if we were in fact deterring, defeating, destroying ISIS, there would be publicity to show for it. People in this country now, I, I posted a, a video uh, yesterday, uh, people in this country now have, have accepted and embraced the victim mentality so far at this point that simply being a victim to them is enough, that, that, that being a victim is enough to say that the world should become more just or become more fair. So we have these lone wolf terrorists, maybe they're millennials, maybe they're second generation uh, protagonists of, of terror, wherever they're coming from, whatever instrument they use, they've gone down this path and it's been institutionalized in our schools, make no mistake about it, that they are a victim of something, of some injustice, some ethnic uh, stereotype or bias. Or they're just, they're such a victim that they become disenfranchised, and that's another word they love to throw around. Um, it, and then this is what comes from it. And at the end of the day, if we really want to change this threat, we don't need to worry about the tools they use for terror. We don't need to worry about, um, uh, about are they second generation or third generation. What we need to worry about is that when, when a kid walks into school, they're not being told that they should be ashamed to say the Pledge of Allegiance. They're not being told that they should be ashamed or even deterred from fighting from what is right, from what they need to survive and thrive in this country, and that being a victim is the single greatest thing that could ever happen to them because facing such an adversity, such an unfair adversity, can create more character than every opportunity laid in front of them for the rest of their life. And if you look at things with that perspective, if we teach our children to look at things with that perspective, then we have 
the next greatest generation because that's what the greatest generation was up against. Um, so I, I would love to talk about the anecdotal taglines, the talking points, the things that very obviously show the president is out of touch with what's going on. But if we really want to change this country, put it in the right direction and stop these things from happening, I believe it starts at the community level and it starts with how we raise our kids and, more importantly, the message that we send to every generation of Americans. And that's quite simple. Make no mistake about it. You will have to fight your way through this life. But if you choose to do so, you'll get much more out of it than you could ever get out of it, allowing yourself to be nothing more than a victim. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you, took, you take the sentiments right out of my heart, right out of my, right out of my mouth, things I've, I've said many times. We have to teach our kids what it's like, what it means to be an American. We have to, you know, we're the greatest country in the world. We're the mightiest country in the world. We have, we have the baddest, meanest, uh, I hate to say mean, but the most powerful military out there, and nobody should mess with us. And in the last eight years, that just, that's just not that's just not the truth because it doesn't matter it's it's the same same thing with when people blame this on guns you know what the gun didn't kill anybody because i've got an ar-15 at my house and it hasn't it's just been sitting there since the last time i took it to the range and it hasn't killed anybody and uh and you know and we have the same military out there if we don't use it it's not it's not gonna ever uh defend us so uh, let's uh, let's go on to uh, to later in the week. By Tuesday, Obama still hadn't attributed the attack to radical Islam. And as I pointed out in my opinion column in uh, IE Business Daily, no one should be be surprised by that because it's been going on for so long. Uh, but after meeting with uh, FBI's counterterrorism group group Tuesday afternoon, Obama gave a press conference where he used uh, the the used the phrase four times and appeared to direct his anger at Republicans rather than terrorists. The main contribution of some of my friends on the other side of the aisle have made in the fight against ISIL is to criticize this administration and me for not using the phrase radical Islam. What exactly would using this label accomplish? Calling a threat by a different name does not make it go away. This is a political distraction. Either does either does pretending it's not there or pretending it's not coming from the the area where hey if there's a sniper out there uh, saying hey there's somebody shooting out there versus saying hey there's a guy over there in the in the north quadrant in that building coming from that window on the left you can't you can't defend against against it can you? Well, you know what's really funny is that the president asked the question he posed the question what effect would it have how would it change things here's what it would do. It would allow us to focus on a mosque that has now bred two, not one, terrorists worldwide. It would allow us to focus our efforts in places, regardless of what those places are, that are known for and known to continue to breed terrorism. Um, I have no fight against the religion of Islam. I don't know enough about it to know if it's a religion of peace or justice, as, as it's paraphrased and, and uh, uh, summarized. But what I do know is that ISIS, being the, the main protagonist in this fight and war on terror, is using that religion and some, some manipulation of it to get people here in this country activated, feeling like a victim and activated as a terrorist. So if ISIS or any terror organization is going to use the radicalization of Islam to activate people, then we have to fight what they're using. We have to fight the tools that they're bringing to the table. We're not the one making it a radical Islamic terrorist uh, movement. They are. We have to respond to that. And I think that at the end of the day, 
is people can be motivated by tweets from ISIS. They can be demotivated by policies and words of our bureaucrats and law enforcement officers, but only if those things are actually attacking what people are looking at and hearing about. Yeah, I think about I think about the movie. I you know it, to me everything's in, everything's a part of a movie. Everything's a, the the movies teach you all the lessons in life. I think about the movie The Gangs of New York when they're setting up their their rumble at the end and would say say guns no no guns knives yes hatchets yes rocks yes chains yes and what are what are what are our rules our rules of war that we're gonna have our 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 war our gang fight what what are we uh, what's what are the rules of engagement and they they set down the rules if we don't you know we can't we can't go to a gunfight with a with a pocket knife and if we if we don't recognize who we're fighting hey we're just fighting somebody you know what does what does that do let me play uh this uh, obama's tirade went on for about seven or eight minutes let's hear one more part there's not been a moment in my seven and a half years as president where we have not been able to pursue a strategy because we didn't use the label radical islam not once has an advisor of mine said man if we really use that phrase we're going to turn this whole thing around not once you know he uh, he he veers off to the fact that in my opinion that he doesn't have a strategy your opinion well i think that that's a, a very relevant opinion if the president does in fact have and is implementing a strategy he's done an amazing job at concealing it from the rest of us um, i can't tell you the decisions made in the oval office i quite frankly don't believe many people can um, you can't predict even how things will turn out with this administration. And even at a lack of really taking this administration to task, I'm a private citizen. I'm also a veteran. I've been to war. I've been to a few of them, actually. I know how to recognize a strategy. I'm not seeing it. You're not seeing it. If there's a strategy, if we're being effective, why aren't we hearing about it and why aren't things changing? Honestly, I could care less the word to use if he were being effective. If this, if we as a country were being effective at killing evil people and reducing their impact around the world. Absolutely, that's not what we're doing. So if there is a strategy, it's not a successful one, what else can we do? And if the best Republicans can offer is a critique of verbiage, then I want to know why. I want to know what else we have to offer. Um, And you're starting to hear that now. I appreciate it. Um, You know, a a ban on uh, certain immigrants from certain places would absolutely make sense to me if we can't vet them properly, which the chief of that, uh, the, the, the CIA chief essentially has said. Um, you know, so there, there are strategies out there that at least I can understand. So if the president has something better, by all means, Mr. President, let us know because we have no clue and we don't feel safe. Yeah, and I, you know, as you said, as you said earlier, if we were actually accomplishing something they would be they would be waving waving the the victory flag every time they did and we don't see any of that and because i don't think it's happening um not surprisingly hillary clinton hasn't used the the phrase radical islam either here's donald trump (laughs) here's donald trump calling her out hillary clinton for months and despite so many attacks repeatedly refused to even say the words radical islam until i challenged her yesterday hillary clinton's catastrophic immigration plan will bring vastly more radical islamic immigration into this country threatening not only our society but our entire way of life they have put political correctness above common sense 
Yeah, Trump, Trump is right. Hillary is following Obama's lead in, in uh, wagging fingers at everything except for Islam. Here she uses the term lone wolf instead. We know already the barbarity that we face from radical jihadists is profound. We face a twisted ideology and poisoned psychology that inspires the so-called lone wolves. Yeah, I think uh, everybody's so afraid to say uh, Islamic, radical Islamic terrorism or say Muslims or Islam or any of that stuff that, and they're so, they're acting so appalled that, that Trump can say, hey, let's, let's stop immigration from, from Muslim countries until we have a, until we can, until we can effectively vet it. And everyone's going, oh my God, even Paul Ryan is saying, you know what, I, I just think this is appalling. I can't, you can't just, uh, you know, keep out a certain religion. Your thoughts? I, how do you how do you institute a test on a religion to, to know if someone is, is being honest? So I, I think that the biggest mistake Donald Trump has made to date on on this specific issue is to call a ban on all Muslims. I, I have watched Donald Trump. I understand that just his use of nouns and adjectives are interchangeable compared to most people. So if he meant to say, and, and I assume he did, and he's smart enough not to completely walk it back to keep the political momentum, but if he meant to say a ban on all refugees coming from Muslim countries that are known or have said they will try to infiltrate our country through refugees to radicalize them, that would make sense. Uh, to, to say a ban on all Muslims, I don't understand that. I never will understand how that was meant to be effective. I can't understand how Paul Ryan or someone else would respond to it the way they have. But at the end of the day, we, because he used the word Muslim, he allowed the Democrats and everyone else to take the focus away from should we stop bringing in refugees who could be infiltrating our country as a terrorist and put the conversation on whether or not people are Muslim or if they're bad for being Muslim. So I think at the end of the day, he took something that could have been a very well-stated point, and he kind of messed it up a little bit. And we're still trying to rebound from that because there is political and uh, and civilian support for stopping these refugees from coming in our country until we know how to vet them properly. But by using the word Muslim when he called for it, it's been nothing but a partisan issue ever since. And I think that uh, I hope that he learned from that, especially as a presumptive nominee. I, I feel like I hear him uh, trying to be more specific now, and that's really good. Um, is maybe it's a day late, a dollar short to actually affect any change. Well, I think uh, I think as I've said many, many all, all as I've said it many times before, all all Muslims aren't terrorists, but all terrorists seem to be Muslims with a few with a few little uh, exceptions. Um, and you know he's trying to say it the way people understand it, and obviously by using using the word uh, gives the Democrats and the Republicans too a reason to uh, to attack it but uh, for those of you who don't know no lone wolf has become popular way of people on the left to label terrorists paints a picture that terrorists are mentally unstable people which means we don't have to blame blame Islam for their actions some of you might have seen the brilliant uh, dr. Sebastian Gorka in uh, Riverside on Thursday night he's been in the media recently promoting his book defeating jihad the winnable war on Fox News this week, Dr. Gorka said, Lone Wolf is a phrase invented to make Americans look stupid. Let's hear it. There is no such thing as Lone Wolf. Whether it's the San Bernardino killers, whether it's the Fort Hood shooter, whether it's the Tarnayev brothers, whether it's this man, there is a connective tissue between all of them, and it is the ideology of global jihadism. 
And uh, Dr. Gorka went on to explain that no matter what Obama and Hillary say, the words we use to describe our enemies do matter. Words matter. If a patient walks into a clinic and he's got tuberculosis and we say, no, 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 he's got the cold, take some aspirins, what's going to happen to that TB patient? He's going to die. Words matter. Why are we trying to score political points? Exactly. Uh, we got about 45 seconds left on the first half there, uh, Joey. Your comment on, uh, on uh, Dr. Gorka's con- uh, words? Hey, listen, when you have an accent like that, you're going to sound smart. Unfortunately, he's absolutely <laughs> wrong about Lone Wolf. There's a guy named Eric Rudolph. There's a guy named Timothy McVeigh that was inspired by punditry and ideas but took matters into their own hands. We can't abandon that term because it doesn't fit what we're trying to fight right now. So the Lone Wolf terrorism does exist. It is real. What we have to understand is, is what happened in Orlando, is what happened with the Zarnayev brothers, is that lone wolf terrorism, or are they complicit with ISIS and other uh, motives? And I believe they're complicit with outside organizations. So I, the I, point, I, the overall point it was making, I could agree with. The, and I think the uh, and I think the underlying uh, point was what you were saying. Lone wolf is out there, but these guys weren't lone wolves. Hey, we're out of we're out of time for part one. Uh, stay stay uh, stay tuned for five mo- five minutes of uh, traffic, weather, and and commercials. And uh, Joey Joey Jones and I will both be back to uh, continue talking about what's happening in this country. Don't go away. And welcome back to the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. You don't hear me talk much about lending on this show or real estate, although there's a lot of stuff going on. And if you hear some, if you hear someone on this show that sounds like they think like you and you need real estate financing, you need to, to buy, refinance, get a reverse mortgage, you need some investment uh, investment in real estate uh, advice, or I got a call from somebody the other day about, hey, this is what's happening with my tenant and my property. What would you do um, if you have? Uh, if you have questions, uh, need some need some guidance, or you need a loan, call me toll free at eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. That's eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. So I've got on the show with me uh, Johnny Joey Jones, uh, a, a retired Marine EOD uh, explosives ordnance disposal. Uh, technician and uh, uh, one of the uh, ambassador, not ambassadors, the COO for the boot campaign, and uh, just a, uh, a Fox News analyst, a Fox News contributor, and uh, for all the mil- all the all the issues military and uh, defense related. Uh, Joey, welcome to part two. Absolutely, it's fun to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, cool. So, uh, so uh, let's 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 continue. We've been talking about. Uh, what's happened in uh, in Orlando last uh, this week, last Sunday, and uh, everybody's reaction to it. Um, and uh, because the Democrats and the media love to protect Muslims, they refuse to acknowledge that Islam preaches hatred against gays. They're trying to blame the attack on anything they can. Here's Obama and Hillary blaming guns. We are also going to have to make sure that we think about the risks we are willing to take by being uh, so lax uh, in how uh, we make very powerful firearms available uh, to people in this country. I believe weapons of war have no place on our streets. We have to make it harder for people who should not have those weapons of war. And that may not stop every shooting or every terrorist attack, but it will stop some and it will save lives. Yeah, so will arming people. Joey, your thoughts? 
Um, well, when you're absolutely incompetent at fighting a global war, the best thing to do is a sleight of hand to distract people and focus them on a new enemy that you feel like you can uh, handle or, or defeat. And in this case, it's the NRA or gun owners or the legal method of purchasing a gun. At the end of the day, um, I can hold up a hunting round and what is primarily used in an AR, which is a 5.56 NATO round, and one looks like a pea and the other one looks like a uh, a cucumber, for lack of a better analogy. And the point is, when you use the word powerful and you don't know what that means, you're being deceptive. The absolute worst thing about an assault rifle, as they would call it, is the fact that our military uses that same rifle. If it weren't for that fact, they would have very little talking points to demonize these guns. But, hey, if we want to go down that path, that's fine. Let me throw one name out there, Timothy McVeigh. He proved a long time ago that if you really want to terrorize people and kill hundreds, not tens, but hundreds of them, you can go to Walmart, buy the supplies you need, use your Google machine, and do it. Thankfully, that's not what people are doing in this country, and I'm proud for it. Uh, I do not want to see one terrorist attack happen, but I guarantee you uh, uh, stray bullets aren't as scary to me as an explosion, and we need to keep that in mind. And all I'm saying by that is not to say that we shouldn't be afraid of terrorists using guns or we should, we should be afraid of them using bombs. It's a perspective statement. It's to say, let's attack those people. Let's attack their mindset and let's attack their motivation first and foremost because if we simply attack the tool or method, well, there are many options in that category, all of which are as easy as the other. Um, so to, to insinuate that the process is put in place by all 50 states and the federal government to purchase a firearm, is the only weak link in these terrorist attacks is to absolutely do an injustice to everyone who's ever died in a terrorist attack. It's to say that their life proves something that is absolutely false. Uh, what we need to do is be honest about this. And I'll tell you what, if you see these people uh, speak with any honesty whatsoever on terrorism and what we need to do to defeat it, you'll see gun owners and Second Amendment supporters come to the table with more ideas. Everyone right now is so polarized, they're retracting, they're afraid of anything that looks like a restriction on the Second Amendment right, and with all, honestly, with good reason. When you look at what the IRS did with conservative groups, to think they wouldn't do the same uh, with gun groups with a watch list or a no-fly list as, the, as the, the cause for taking someone's Second Amendment rights away, you're absolutely crazy. So, so how, do you, how do you feel about the, uh, the uh, discussion about saying that uh, when they do background searches, the, and I think the NRA agreed that they were okay with this, that if you're on terrorist watch list or, or the no-fly list, that they wouldn't issue a gun. They wouldn't allow well, you to buy a gun. Well, very different things. There's a terrorist watch list, which actually has to have some burden of proof, and then there's a no-fly list. Let me tell you what our no-fly list today looks like. I got a message from a man I've known for a long time. He's a federal air marshal. The federal government employs him to carry a loaded gun onto planes. That's his job. He was flagged for almost an entire year on a no-fly list because of his name, date of birth, and the county he was born in. So when we're dealing with a list so incompetent that we would put a federal air marshal on that list inadvertently, and you're telling me that's the list you're going to use or one of the lists you're going to use, then you need to show me you can improve that system a little bit. Well, I think uh, I think does that mean the no-fly list is a bad idea to to 
put a red flag up or does it say the no fly list needs to be needs to be uh uh improved the system uh and maybe uh what's the word i'm looking well, for uh, put some put some filters yeah, it, put some filters on it so hey if there's some people that certainly in california you do a you do a five you know do you do a 10-day waiting thing and they do an fbi check and i know in arizona they just swipe my uh my arizona id and it takes two or three minutes but certainly if i was on a no-fly list for any reason you'd think that they'd say okay well we can't let you have it have your gun today this has to go through further investigation and you're gonna have to wait a couple of days while we ver- verify that you're not somebody that we shouldn't be selling guns to well, I think that's something you have to look at right now. To date, Florida is the most and about the only gun-friendly state that, that the most recent attacks have happened at. Chattanooga, Tennessee, Florida. When you look at San Bernardino, when you look at Newtown, when you look at some of these other places, the actual gun laws and where you can trace those guns back to have stricter gun laws or have strict, had, had a stricter process than even most of the uh, legislation being proposed. So what does that say? That says that the purpose of this legislation is not to actually deter someone from acquiring a weapon and doing a bad thing. It's to appease people who are distracted from what the actual problem is. And it's really hard for me to see our government work in a way that was designed, you know, 200 years ago or over 200 years ago in such a surface-level way. We're not peeling the layers of the onion. We're not looking at the problem. We're not solving anything. And, yes, I am saying very matter-of-factly, that we cannot allow a, a, a bureaucratic uh, a populated list that has zero burden of proof to control whether or not someone has the Second Amendment right to purchase a firearm. Now, other restrictions on purchasing a firearm aren't being proposed, and they're not being talked about. They're not talking about how we're going to do background checks, if they're going to be nationwide, what weapons those background checks will go on. They're simply saying that in the process of doing current background checks, which most states do not require for an AR-15, that they would somehow use this watch list to stop someone uh, from purchasing that weapon. Well, at the end of the day, that watch list isn't correct. There are more mistakes on that list than proven terrorists. And until we fix that, how could that ever be something we would use? One of the examples I like to use is when I worked on Capitol Hill at the House Veterans Affairs Committee, there were veterans who received a VA pension, and they actually opted into a system that allowed them to get a fiduciary representative who would take their VA check and pay their bills with it. Most cases, it was because they had dependents in their household that tried to take advantage of them financially. So this was a way to remove that and put someone in between them. The VA sends a letter to those thousands of veterans saying they were they were deemed psychologically incompetent to have uh, a full possession of a firearm. So they made such a dramatic leap that opting into this program meant the VA told them they couldn't own a firearm in their home, which is absolutely unlawful. It's very important that we understand that a, and a right that is um, guaranteed, not given, but guaranteed through the Bill of Rights, cannot be taken away through a bureaucratic process. It's a judicial issue. In other words, there needs to be an adjudication, a day in court. It needs to be uh, determined through the judiciary, not, the, not Congress or the bureaucracy. And until, um, and until we reach that point and everyone understands that simple but vastly important difference, I'm not ready to allow some arbitrary and mistaken watch list uh, stop me from purchasing a firearm in my home state. Well, it seems to, be, it seems to me that in 2001, after 9-11, that uh, George W. Bush created the Department of Homeland Security to 
to Pete to uh, tie together the CIA and the Defense Department or the the Justice Department and the Defense Department and the FBI so and local police so that uh, everybody could benefit from everybody's database uh, or they would so something would come up if the FBI ran something and they didn't have something in their computer but something popped up in the CIA that it would give some red flags so hey before you make a decision check this out here's a here's a uh, here's a connection over here absolutely that seems that seems to yeah, have yeah. been lost well and so I minored in homeland security in college and the sole purpose uh, post 2001 anyway for the department of homeland security was to create communication when 9-11 happened, our law enforcement could not communicate to our uh, fire department through a radio. There was no means put in place for those two working in the same city to talk to one another. That was how far down the, the, uh, the walls and barriers and communication had gone. So the purpose, the, the main purpose of the Department of Homeland Security was to create communication and working togetherness among these different agencies so that we weren't being inadvertently and erroneously uh, redundant. In our efforts, in other words, this agency is pursuing A, and this agency is pursuing B, and, and if you put the two together, it's the same person, that kind of thing. But one of the after effects of it is that we have created redundancy by not properly merging some of these efforts. So if someone's name is John Smith, he's flagged for everything every John Smith in this country has done around the same age. And until we can go so far as to alleviate such an, uh, you know, idiotic mistake to put someone on a watch list who's never done anything wrong in their life, we can't allow uh, that system as it exists today to make that determination. And the fact that the Republican candidate right now today is not only willing to, but seems eager to do so, that's scary to me. And, and, and I have very little faith. I said a long time ago that one of the scariest things about Donald Trump to me is I believed as soon as there was a mass shooting, he had the capacity to flip-flop on guns because as soon as, as recent as 2011, he had a very different opinion than he does today. And it seems like he's not even going to wait till November. And that's very scary to me. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me, uh, make, let me ease your fear a little bit. In my opinion, in my opinion, if we have people that actually understand some accountability and not just, hey, I'm going to get here and I just want to keep my poll, my uh, my favorability ratings up and make everybody love me so I can fly around in Air Force One. When you have someone who runs a business who has a vested interest in in the money they're spending and whether the employees that are working for them actually produce something and where the bottom line is and all that stuff. When you have someone who's focused on actually accomplishing something efficiently, um, they'll understand. And I think, and I think if it were me, I would say, Hey, I'm all for, I'm all for saying, Hey, if you're on the no fly list or if you're the, you know, on the terrorist watch list, you don't get to get a gun until we do some more investigation, which I'm cool with. Okay. Hearing, hearing some of the things that, that you've made clear, I'm say, Hey, I call in my, my IT guys and say, say, Hey, we have to fix this. We have to fix, we have to figure out some filters. And with the technology today, why can't, why couldn't they make some, some easy, easy, uh, uh, adjustments in the, in the, uh, in the IT, in the information technology, uh, that, that we're using that could easily fix this to weed out the, the hit. So instead there's, instead of having uh, a million different people on there that shouldn't be, we take it down to a few thousand and then those get taken care of at the, you know, Hey, here's a red flag. Let's investigate. Okay. In a couple of days we can figure out, yes, they are, they should be on there or no, they aren't. Well, and, 
I think um, I think Ed, what what you're saying and what it sounds like to me is you've got a lot more faith in our federal government to have sole uh, determination of our civil liberties and bill of rights than I do. Because no. it might be a Republican today, but four years from now, when it's a Democrat and they're doing what they did with the IRS not even a year ago by uh, by literally punishing conservative groups for the simple fact of being conservative through a government process. And if you think that we can put enough fail states in place that that couldn't happen, that such a watch list couldn't become politicized, then I, I unfortunately believe you're sadly mistaken. Okay, um, well, uh, you, if Trump you, uh, were to become president, it wouldn't be forever. You misinterpreted what I said. What I, well, I didn't say the federal government. I said, <laughs> I said if we make this change, if we made these changes, there's other changes that have to go with it to make it make sense. And it would seem to yeah. me it would be easy to fix that um, if we hold hold our our uh, whatever the Department of Information Technology uh, for all the different departments of defense, Department of Justice, and all that stuff. It'd be easy to to make those to change those filters to well, to make this but happen. Those, the problem here is that those changes would only reflect that the person you want to be on the watch list goes on it. That speaks nothing for ill intent on the want side. So if that director or that low-level employee or if that president uh, doesn't want specific people for political reasons to own firearms or wants to punish Second Amendment supporters in some way, and next thing you know, over a period of six months, 10,000 of them end up on a watch list because of a DUI misdemeanor, um, then, then, then what are you doing, right? Because once you allow that watch list of any sort to be the, the dictating factor, which at this very point is not, a, there's no path of adjudication to get yourself off of it. Uh, there's no direct path of appeal. So if at any point you allow this watch list today to become a deciding factor, then, then a government entity can build on that. So everyone who's ever, um, you know, been accused of, maybe not even prosecuted, but accused of, uh, of domestic disturbance, uh, verbally threatening someone in a public place, which makes sense until someone tells a man who, who assaulted his wife that, hey, if you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you. Uh, I'm sorry, but I might would say something like that one day. I might think better a second later, but that shouldn't be the determining factor on whether or not I can exercise my Second Amendment right. Um, so the, once you go down this rabbit hole, you can't guarantee that there's no turning back, and you can't guarantee that it doesn't become political. And once it does, now your Second Amendment right has become completely political, and you have really zero say over whether or not you're on that watch list. That's a very scary thing to me. Well, I think I think uh, at some point, at some point, we either need to give up all our uh, give up our freedom or give up some of our some of our our rights. I mean, it's it's. Uh, we could we could stop policing the world if we if we're willing to bring our military and put them all all back on the border and nobody comes in and nobody comes out and then it's just a matter of the people that are here weed them out at some point at some point we have to have to say hey there's going to be some mistakes we got to trust our trust somebody to i mean what happens if if we have only people that are felons on that list and somebody puts someone who's not a felon on there and let me and let me jump over to this where the blame really lies uh with the government that refuses to hold islam accountable for the actions of its radical followers here's a two-minute long clip of the department of homeland security whistleblower philip haney who told Sean Hannity about something he was ordered to do, something that might have prevented the attacks in San Bernardino and Orlando. Six years into your tenure in 2009, you were ordered to scrub the records of Muslims with these terror ties by our government. Who told you to do that? 
It was directed from DHS headquarters. It's important to keep in mind that that was one year after the November 2008 Holy Land Foundation trial, the largest terror trial in American history, that irrefutably proved that these individuals from the Muslim Brotherhood front groups were in direct financial support of Hamas. And, and that's, so what, that, that's, the, that's the trial where CARE was named as an unindicted co-conspirator, if I'm not mistaken as along with Islamic Society of North America and the North American Islamic Trust, two, three major groups. Okay, so you were doing your job identifying individuals, you built up a computer database, Obama becomes president, you are literally ordered to scrub the names of Muslims with terror ties that we, you had worked so hard to find. You believe you could have stopped what happened in Orlando and San Bernardino had you not been ordered by Obama's DHS to do this. Is that true? Well, that was the first, what I call the first great purge. That was in 2009 with more than 800 records. The case that I'm referring to about stopping the San Bernardino and now related to the Orlando was, was three years later in 2012. It was a larger case called the Tablighi Jamaat Initiative. And it was another network separate from, but related to in some ways, the Muslim Brotherhood network that we just talked about. So. In the case of San Bernardino, it was Saeed Farouk and his wife. You had identified that mosque as a place where you believe we should have been paying attention to, correct? There's an entire, yes, there's an entire network of those kind of mosques across the United States. And I found out a couple of days ago that the mosque in, in Fort Pierce is also related to the same network. So basically what, basically what we're seeing is just as easily as we could have people that shouldn't be on that list inadvertently on that list and, and that we can we can have government people order people that should be on the list taken off exactly and so now tell me how effective is this list and is that really what we should be discussing right now today in stopping these types of attacks and that's the main argument against this is that it is an absolute sleight of hand there's an issue that is very serious that was just discussed on that clip could we have stopped it by using the list? And did our federal government make this a possibility? Um, without going too far down that path, because quite simply, the, there's not enough evidence and proof to discuss it at this very moment, the bigger question here is, why are we discussing guns? Why are we discussing one of any number of tools that, you know what's easier than purchasing a legal firearm? purchasing an illegal one. So, I mean, if you really want to talk about it, um, yeah, if guns are, are a tool used, the ability to purchase them, that, that ship has sailed. We're not going to stop terrorists from getting their hands on guns. What we may accidentally or maybe on purpose do is stop people from being able to defend themselves in those situations by making it difficult or impossible for them to arm themselves responsibly. So that's the gun argument. The second argument here, which in my opinion is vastly more important, are we doing what we can do to stop terrorism from happening in this country and to identify terrorists before they become killers and murderers? And in my opinion, and I think the evidence shows, we're absolutely not. And I think, and I thought that's, that's what I took from the clip was these guys were not on the, on the list for don't get guns. They were on the terrorist watch list that had they not been scrubbed off. Law enforcement should have been watching this guy and, and, and uh, watching him talking to him, watching his Facebook stuff, and, and the fact that he applied to, to buy a gun, even if you let him buy a gun, should have been red flag. Here, here's a guy on this list, just bought a gun. 
Go investigate. Yeah, absolutely. And in case in point, uh, one of the gun shops that uh, that the Orlando shooter walked into and tried to buy uh, body armor uh, did flag him, and the FBI didn't have the resources to properly respond. Now, one of the reports uh, as early as yesterday evening was that um, they didn't take his name, uh, but the reports earlier than that were that the FBI didn't respond or didn't have the resources to respond. So then the question is asked, and I'm not making an opinion on this because I don't have enough information to, but the question is there, if we create the best list in the world, are we going to do anything about it? Are we going to pursue the people who are flagged on it? And in my opinion, all the evidence shows that we're not going to. Why? I have no clue. I have to have more faith in the people in charge of our country than to believe they want these things to happen or that they're so complicit in, in Islamic terrorism that somehow they're protecting it. That's not what I believe. I believe there's a fundamental uh, difference in opinion right now. Perhaps it's so easy as they want the political narrative to show that we're somehow winning this war or the reasons why we're not winning it uh, aren't their fault. But we have to. the question we need to be asking our government and anyone that's in charge of, of uh, changing policy and making decisions is, are we doing enough? to stop these things from happening. And if we're not, why in the world aren't we? And why aren't we focusing on that? Um, if we make it to a place where the last thing to do or the, mo- or the next most obvious thing to do is gun control, you'll get my support. But we're nowhere near that point today. And in my opinion, that is a, that is a dangling carrot in front of the rabbit. That has nothing to do with the race. That has nothing to do or very little to do with the problem at hand, which is that people want to kill people. And they want to do it for radical, insane reasons. They're being influenced by factors outside of our country. And are we doing enough to deter and stop that and identify those people? Absolutely, we're not. Hey, Joey, uh, we're out of time now. Uh, thanks for all your all your insight. I, I'll just add in, for some reason, George W. Bush and, and the initial attempt at Homeland Security was able to keep us safe for the, for the seven years after 9-11. And there must be a way to do it. The fact that it's not happening is evidence that we can't. I think we can. Anyway, uh, Joey, thanks for being my guest today, as always. And uh, have, a, have a great time on your vacation. Folks, I'm all out of time. Thanks for listening to the main event. And I'll be back again with you next week. <laughs>